you've been here under two years, you, you may not know much of Pastor Dan's ministry. Pastor Dan uh, was an associate pastor of our, of our church, uh, along with his wife for many years, uh, Damaris. Um, for over 10 years, they served here at ECC as uh, youth pastors. And uh, some years ago, the Lord moved them from here to Huntington, Long Island, to uh, uh, to first, uh, in their transition to the senior pastor position, serve as associate pastors, and now they are the senior pastors of Huntington Assembly. It's a wonderful, thriving church. Uh, God is doing wonderful things there. Pastor Dan and Damaris have such a vision for their community, and we're so blessed and honored and proud that they are sons and daughters of this church, and we're so thankful. I also enjoy life with them. Danny and Damaris with my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, and we're so happy that they're here this morning, and I know Dan has a word for us. Help me welcome him, Pastor Dan, with us today. Hallelujah. Can someone say hallelujah? Come on, back in the day, we used to say God is good, and all the time. Come on, if you happen to be in the house of the Lord, can you say Hallelujah. It's an honor to be here today. I will say hello to all my family, those who I do know, those who I don't know. Um, I was a knucklehead kid running around in this church. Um, and now I get to preach the gospel. Um, I remember clearly being 13 years old um, in this church, um, back where we were in South Ozone Park. And now I brought a 13-year-old to this church. Life is crazy. Life is crazy. <laughs> Um, it is my honor to be here. Um, I am the son of Damaris and Josue, and I am so grateful for their influence. Um, I grew up going to church with my parents. Now I don't get to go to church with them too much anymore. So today is an honor just to be here with my parents, with my family, um, and with Becky and Pastor Becky and Pastor Carlos. Um, they are my pastors. Pastor, we call him Bishop. He is my pastor, um, and he's a better golf player than me. I hate to admit that, but... You know, we're in the house of the Lord, and we got to be honest. We got to be honest. Um, but I'm so uh, excited to be here. Eight years ago, we went, and we're in a beautiful church in Huntington Station, Long Island. Beautiful Huntington Station. Um, and we are so grateful to the Lord of what he's doing in Huntington Station. Um, my beautiful wife, Damaris, is here with me. And mommy, just say hello to everybody. We're so grateful to have her. Damaris is uh, helping, me, helping me lead very well with her, white, her wisdom. Her singing, her worship, her, her counsel, her peace, her comfort. Uh, she is my joy, and I'm so grateful to do pastoring with her. Can someone say amen? Amen. 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 We thank God for, for good wives, right? For great wives. Amen and amen. Uh, to my brothers, the Gill family, Kingsley and Abby, my, my dear, dear, dear friends, and everyone else who we call friends here, I am so honored to preach the gospel. Let's get right into this. Uh, 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 when I was a kid... Um, in elementary school, we read this book called The Three Musketeers. Anyone read that book? Or if you didn't read the book, you could just admit that you watched the video, you watched the movie. Um, and so when, when I think of The Three Musketeers, um, I think of these big fluffy hats, right? Um, I, I think of these swords, right? And they would, they would fight to protect the kingdom, and they would fight to protect um, all that is happening. And if you think of The Three Musketeers, the first thing that comes to your head must be what? All for one? and one for all. As we examine culture today, 
It seems like it's not all for one and one for all. It seems like in our culture, it's all for me and none for you. While there are many good things happening in our society, in our culture today, the common thread of, of what our culture is offering our children, the common thread of what our culture is trying to teach us is that it's all about me, what I like, what I feel, what I want, and as long as it's good for me, then who cares about everybody else? Unfortunately, not just in our culture today, but even in the church in America, we've allowed ourselves to be divided by politics, by ideologies, by race, by economic status, and, and by many other things. And I want you to know that this was never the intention of God for his church. The intention of God was for them to be all for one and one for all. And today I want to teach you under this, this theme, all for one and one for all, and, and what it means for us today. And, and I believe Paul is going to teach us in the book of Ephesians what, what the real meaning of unity is. And, um, and if you would stand to your feet with me, we're going to read God's word out loud. And, and we're going to jump around a bit. We're going to read 1 through 7 of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. We're going to jump um, down to then read 11 through 16. And we're going to read it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Word of God says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Can someone say amen? amen. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Jump down with me to verse 11. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son, and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of the people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Verse 16, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each does its work. Lord, this is your word. And it never returns void, O oh God. Lord, we have declared your word, we have sung your word, and we ask that your word will do its job and pierce our hearts today, oh Lord. I pray, Father God, that today will be a day of transformation, Father God. Not just an experience, but transformation, oh Lord. And that you would make your church one. That you would unite us 
by your spirit that you would bring us into submission, O oh Lord, to who you are as the head of the church. And we ask you, Father God, that you would anoint our time here today, Lord. Anoint me, O oh God, to deliver your word for your people, O oh Lord. And I pray, Father God, when it's all said and done, that I will be forgotten, but that you would be remembered. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen. 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 Turn to the person next to you. Tell them, I'm here for you. Tell them, are you here for me? I want you to understand the audience that Paul is writing to. Paul is not writing to a group of people who don't know Jesus. Paul is writing to the church. And since Paul is writing to the church, I want you to know this. Paul is writing to you. Paul emphasizes this unity, this idea of unity, not just in chapter 4, but all throughout all six chapters of Ephesians. And he emphasizes it not because there's a problem with unity. He emphasizes unity because he understands that in unity there is a power that the culture cannot overcome, the church. That when the people are together, then that God's work is done greatly when we come under the same banner. In Ephesians 3 verse 10, Paul taught us that so through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. And so what we're understanding is this, is this idea of what Paul is teaching the church is that the manifold wisdom of God to bring the church together, to unite the church together, will do one great thing, will display the glory of God for all the world to see. Despite the culture, despite the, the situations, despite of the uh, idol worship that is found all throughout Ephesus, is that God will use the people of God, that God will bring different cultures, different ethnicities together in Ephesus to do what? To demonstrate the power and the wisdom of our Lord. You see, unity isn't just about who we are as individuals. Unity is who we are as a church. And the power of the church is found in the Spirit of God working in and through the church to unite the church. Because naturally, we would not be united. Go back just a couple of years. We couldn't even agree if we were buying Goya beans anymore. There was, there was different ideologies, there were different thoughts, and, and, and division would, would, would try to creep in and creep out. And, and Paul is talking to these people who are in Roman oppression in the Roman Empire that is important for you guys to stay united. And what does he say, and, and why does he teach them to be united? We are united by the same call. What is this call? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 tells us, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In the church and out of the church, your call is to live a life worthy of the calling that he has called you to. Now, calling can be gifts, calling can be ministry, but most importantly, what God is calling us to do is to live a life worthy of the gospel that tells the world that I am found in Christ Jesus, that I am not who I used to be, I am not what my sin tells me I am, I am, as we sang, who Christ says I am. The calling of God over your life is to live a life worthy of the gospel. 
And I want you to understand how powerful this is because Paul is writing this in a prison. He's writing this under duress. He's most likely chained to a Roman soldier. And he could have said, hey, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, I want you to do something for me. Would you pray for me because they got me locked up? Would you, would you pray that God would take me out of my situation? Guys, I'm going through a storm. Would you lift up your hands and would you pray for me, church? But if you analyze all of Ephesians, Paul never says to pray that God would take him out. Paul says that he will live a life worthy of the gospel while he's in a prison. And so what does that teach us? That teaches us that in our prison moments, which we will have, well, which, we, which we will encounter, in our situations that, that face us, in our moments where we are feeling imprisoned to the moment of our life, to the, to the season of our life. I want you to know that in those seasons when it's difficult, never change your godly character. Paul is telling the church, Live a life worthy of the gospel from a prison cell. And Paul was human just like you and I were human. So if Paul could live for Jesus inside of a prison cell, I can live for Jesus here today. You see, the calling is not to preach good. The calling is not to sing good. The calling isn't even to do good. The calling is good, godly character in every season of life. Can I tell you that God cares more about your character than your gifting? You may be gifted, but God is calling you to live a life worthy of the calling, which is reflected in your character. Where no one's watching, that's who we really are. And he's calling us to live a life that is worthy of that gospel. Can someone say amen? amen. Don't allow the enemy to think, don't allow the enemy, the enemy to let you think that because you are in a bad situation, it's okay to change your character. Don't allow the enemy to think that woe is me is a moment where you can say, well, you know what? I can do and say whatever I want. You see, the world can behave however they want, but not the church. The world can be divided on whatever they want, but not the church. The world can flip-flop on many different things, but not the church. We are stay rooted and living a life worthy of our calling. Can you say amen? amen. Knowing that our call to live out our faith in every season of life is a ministry opportunity, is a sermon that will preach better than any sermon you will hear on a Sunday. Because who we are outside of this place matters more than who we are inside of this place. Because inside of this place, man, kick your shoes off, you're home. Inside of this place, break down, cry. Inside of this place, get healing. Inside of this place, encourage one another. And once you get filled up in here, take it home, live it well in your house, but exemplify it to your community. Because who we are in our prison moments will tell us if we're living a life worthy of the gospel. So how do we do this, though? Right? That sounds fun. Yeah, I'll live a life worthy of the gospel. The Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. What does it say? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I want you to know that the way that you live out your calling is not only through your gifting, but who you are in Christ Jesus. 
The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that every spiritual blessing we have, we have it in Christ Jesus. We have access to every spiritual blessing. So everything that I have from Jesus, everything that I receive from Jesus is good enough. He has deposited his spirit inside of me. And because his spirit is inside of me, the way that I live out my calling can align up with verse 2. Because the Spirit of God is in me, I can live a humble life. Can you say amen? amen? How many people need help living a humble life? Man, we need help living a humble life, right? And I want you to understand this, that when Paul is using the word humility in this context, this is not a, a humility that is celebrated. It's, it's in Rome and where, where pride was celebrated and humility was made fun of. If, if humility was where you tore people down because they, they were living humbly, right? And so Paul and the Bible, every time you read it, is completely counterculture. So if you read the Bible and it lines up with culture, you might be reading it wrong because it's supposed to tell us how to live differently than the culture and to hold on to the cross. And it says, live humble lives. Amen. Not only that, he says, be gentle. And now this word gentleness is more like self-control. That's what the original word means. And so I want you to, I'll give you this quick analogy. Has anyone ever come up to you and they started telling you a story and you know that everything they're saying is just not true? <laughs> like, all right. And yet there's talking, and you're like, wow. <laughs> but you don't say nothing? That's called being gentle. Let's treat each other gently, right? He says not only be gentle, be patient. That'll preach all day long. If you want to know if you're growing in a life worthy of the calling, talk to me about your patience. Don't talk to me about your titles, don't talk to me about how much you know. Show me in your patience. The Lord is really working with me on that, especially as a pastor. But one of the most patient people I know is my dad. My dad was always patient with us, right? He had four kids running around. He was always patient. The most godly example I could have as a kid is my father. And my father demonstrated not from gifting from the altar, but from character in the house with patience. It was patience. Not only does he say patience, he says bear with one another. The Greek word here means to endure something unpleasant or difficult. And so what we're trying to, what, what Paul is teaching us is that all of these things, we, we must bear with one another. And it tells us that we must endure with each other despite our differences and our frustrations. You see, this is completely counterculture because today, if I have a difference with you, if I have a frustration with you, you know what I do? I cancel you and I don't got to talk to you anymore. But that's not what the church is called to. The church is not called to cancel anybody. The church is called to welcome everybody and to lead them to the truth, bearing with one another. That's what we're called to. Can you say amen? And then he says, keeping the unity. Please note that it does not say make unity. It says keep unity. Because on our own, we can't make unity. But 
it's the spirit of God that makes the unity and we work together to keep the unity. Our responsibility is to depend on the spirit of God to unite us and, and to keep us together. And so therefore, the way I can keep unity is by bearing with one another, is by being patient, is by living a gentle life, is by being humble, thinking of myself less and thinking of others more. And that is how we live a life worthy of the call. Can someone say amen? amen? And why can we live this life worthy of the call? Because verse 4 tells us there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who is in all and through all. And the reason that I can maintain unity in the church because it's never about me, it's always about Christ. It did not say it's one person. It did not say it's one church, one denomination. No, one body, one spirit. And if we can put ourselves and submit ourselves to our God who is head over the church, then we can maintain the unity within the church. You see, when it becomes less about me, when it becomes less about me and more about Jesus, the church will never have a problem with unity. Why is this important? Why is this unity so important? Can I tell you, there are more things that unite us than divide us. There are more, thing, more things that unite us than divide us. But I want you to be sure of something. There's an enemy of your soul who wants you to think that you can live on an island by yourself and be okay. There's an enemy of your soul who says, ah, I don't got to come to church next Sunday. I was there last Sunday. There's an enemy of your church who said, man, last uh, Sunday was great. I don't have to pray Monday because I'm living off of Sunday. There's, a, there's an enemy of your soul who will tell you that you are good all by yourself. Because if he can get you by yourself and not unite it with the church, that's where our defeat comes from. If you think about the moments of your weakness, I can almost guarantee there were moments where you were all by yourself when no one was there to help you. We need unity because it was the, the divine design of God for his people. Yes. And this is why we join together. And this is why we come together. Because you and I, we can't do this by ourselves. Amen. You and I cannot do life alone. We cannot be alone. Pastor, I don't have any friends. Well, make a friend. <laughs> be a friend. And you won't find yourself alone. Come together. Because if you find yourself by yourself, I promise, there's a great chance of failing. But when I'm together, when I'm struggling, I could call a friend, hey, man, would you pray for me? There's victory in unity. Can you say amen? Amen. So how can the church be united? How can there be unity? Look at this. Verse 7 says this. But each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. What does this mean to us? By, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned. What does this mean? It's a beautiful freeing concept if you can really understand it. It's this. 
I don't have to compare your grace to my grace. I don't have to compare your gift to my gift. I don't need to compare myself to what you do. I don't need to compare my job to your job. I don't need to, I don't need to compare how I look to how you look. Why? Because grace has been apportioned to me. So what God has designed, who is the great God, who spoke everything into existence, whatever he has given you is enough. And the moment that I say, God, I want some of what they have, is the moment where I sin before God when I don't appreciate what he has given me. How do we do this, church? If I understand that it's God's grace that has been apportioned to me and that whatever he has given me, let me tell you something. I would pray that God would apportion to me some nice, more luscious hair, but that's not what he gave me. <laughs> but I don't have to be jealous of it because that's how God made me. So in the church, what we do is that we don't compare each other. What do we do? We celebrate each other. So if your gifting is to preach better than the pastor, preach. If your gifting is to teach, teach. If your gifting is administration, administer. Whatever your gifting is, celebrate your gifting and don't say, well, I want that gifting. No, what God has given me is good. It's good. It's good. We keep unity in the church when we celebrate each other instead of comparing each other. Not only that, this unity goes into these gifts that God gives the church. And in verse 11, we see it. And, 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 and we see the unity in the church. And the second thing I want to tell you, these gifts of the church. And verse 11 says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Paul tells the church this. Considering this unity that must be evident within the church, God has provided a diversity of gifts that unites the church. It's the diversity of gifts that unites the church. He says, I gave some to be apostles, prophets, and evangelists. Let me tell you something. If everybody in this room was a great preacher, there'd be a lot of great preaching, but chaos in our administration. If everybody was a great administrator, there'd be a lot of organization, but no good preaching. Therefore, we celebrate the diversity of the gifts because in the diversity of the gifts, it brings unity because I can't do what you can do and you can't do what I can do because God has given me the grace to do it. And therefore, we bring come together in the gifts of the church. And when we receive these diversity of gifts, I want you to know, don't use your gift to lord it over someone. Serve somebody. Serve somebody. And that is when we are operating in the gift of the Spirit. When we can realize that I'm not here to be served, that I am here to serve. See, the question is not if we have gifts. The question is, Am I using my gifts in the church to serve the people of the church? Why do we have these gifts? Verse 11, verse 12 teaches us at the end, so that the body of Christ may be built up. 
God has not given you those gifts so that you can feel good about yourself. God has not given you the gifts so that you can say, look at how good I am. God has given you the gift. Why? So that you would build the church. So that together we would build the church. What can you do for Jesus? Maybe you're asking, well, what can I do for Jesus? Whatever he has graced you to do. And whatever he has graced you to do, do it well. Honor the Lord. Serve the church. And do it together. Why? Because when I can celebrate our gifting, then there could be unity. Verse 13 tells us, until we all reach that unity. In faith and in knowledge of our Son of God and, and of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of fullness of Christ. The meta point that Paul is teaching the church is not just unity or diversity of gifts that bring about this unity. The main thing that Paul is teaching the church is this: the result of those things. What are the results of unity and the diversity of gifts in the church? Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of good teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. The application to this sermon is simply this, is that if I'm operating in unity, I'm operating in my diversity of gifts, the result of that is not just to operate them, is that the result of that would be that I will grow up to be a, good, a mature Christian. The role of these gifts are maturity in the church. Is that you and I would grow up. That's really what, what the Bible is telling us here. It says the result of that is spiritual maturity. And he says then you will no, no longer be like infants. If you have kids, if you've been a kid, had a kid, or know a kid, you know that their opinions change by the hour. At my house... The Maris, we have a struggle with our kids. Maybe you have the same struggle. We go to BJ's and Costco's. What do you guys want? And they pick it out, right? And then they eat it so much, and then two days later, they don't want that anymore. And then there's $100 worth of food in your refrigerator, and it's sitting there for two months because the kids said they wanted it, but now they don't want it. Why? Infants are tossed, by the war, tossed, tossed back and forth by the waves. But the Christian is to grow up. And we grow up when we're unified. We grow up when we operate in our giftings to the point to, to, to that to the point of us becoming spiritually mature. If you want to know what spiritual maturity looks like, it looks like this, simple. The same Sunday school answers they've been teaching you here for years. It looks like knowing God's word and living God's word. Spiritual maturation has everything to do with how much time you spend with God. Because the more time that you spend with God, the more humble you are, and the more humble you are, the less offended you are. In a world and a culture of offense where everybody's offended by everything, the more time we have with God, the more we represent the, the works of God, the more that we look like Jesus, the more we grow up in Jesus, the less offended we are, and the more prepped are we ready to love and serve the church. Can you say amen? amen. Knowing God's word and living God's word. In this beautiful church, you have Bible Institute. You need to, to get into Bible Institute. But I want to do want to give you a word of warning. Be careful to not interpret God's word by your feelings. If you ever heard someone say, well, I, I feel God said this to me. Uh, congratulations, I'm glad you feel that way. But if that's not what God said, I'm sorry. Well, I, I feel God is saying this. Well, what did he literally say? 
Be careful of interpreting God's scripture through your favorite preacher with 35 million followers. Stay on the faithful teaching in the local church. Stay on the faithful teaching of your pastor. Spiritual maturity says this. When God's word disagrees with me, guess who's wrong? I am. God's word is supposed to offend us. It's supposed to reveal our sin so that what? We can go to the salvation of our sin in Christ Jesus. The word is supposed to offend us. That's spiritual maturation. How do we live in spiritual maturity? Look at verse 15. Spiritual maturity means speaking the truth. Spiritual maturity means speaking with truth and love in our relationships. Verse 15 said, we won't be tossed, verse 14 said, we won't be tossed by winds and waves, right? Verse 15 said, instead of being tossed and turned, what are we going to do? Speak the truth in love. Warren Wiersbe said this, truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. We must speak the truth with love. If I come with a whole lot of truth and no love, guess what I've created? A whole lot of offense. If I come with a whole lot of love with no truth, you know what I've created? A whole lot of lies. We need both truth and love. Truth is what God says about something because he has the final word. And if you want to know if you're maturing in Christ Jesus, how often is the word of God the final authority in your life? Or is crazy Titi, whoever she is, the person we're seeking for for advice. You see, when we operate in truth and love, it's God's love and truth active inside of us that doesn't just dwell in us, it must rule and reign in our hearts. It's the word of God that confronts us, but it doesn't just confront us, it points us to our source of salvation. We must operate in truth and love. The second thing I want to tell you is this, that spiritual maturity means speaking the truth and love in our relationships as we are willing to do the work. Let me conclude with verse 16. What does it say? From him, the whole body joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, in love as each part does its work. Spiritual maturity is not a race to see who knows more. Spiritual maturity is a marathon in which we run together. And it says this, as each part does its work. We are not called to be consumers in the church. We are called to be contributors within the church. Everybody must do its part. And I want to conclude by telling you this. I learned this uh, a little while ago. And um, you could throw that, 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 that picture up. Learned a little while ago that in California, it's home to these largest organisms on the planet. These are the redwood trees. That's not a Photoshop. That's like a real picture. And in these redwood trees, they grow for hundreds of years. And this tree right here can be um, several hundred years old, and they grow to upwards of 350 feet. Massive trees, beautiful trees. They look strong, don't they? Right there, it looks like nothing can conquer it. But I wanted to teach you something about these trees that will tell us about unity within church. 
the way that this tree grows is that they don't grow by themselves. The strength of the tree is not its size. The strength of the tree is not its age. The strength of the tree is the deep-rooted system that it has. And what I learned about the redwood trees is this, is that their root system intermingles with the tree next to it. Their root system is connected to all the other trees so that what? When the winds come and when the, and when the storm comes, they're not only held by their size as individuals, they are held by their roots together. The thing that you don't see is the strongest thing about them. And what I want to tell you is this, church, that if we are going to grow up in the gospel, I want you to know that the strength of the church is not found in one person and not found in one ministry, not found in one group. The strength of the church is found in the Spirit of God that keeps us together so that we can grow. So that we can grow. Because when we grow, not only is our family impacted, but our community is changed. Not only is our community changed, but we can take New York City. Not only can we take New York City, we can take America. Why? Because as we are intertwined, it's our interconnectedness to each other and to God that is the strength of the church. Ecclesiastes tells us that two are better than one, right? But if you pay attention to these words carefully, there's a powerful gospel message. In verse 7, the Bible tells us that the gifts of the church and the unity of the church is by the Spirit in accordance to Christ's gifts. In verse 11, it tells us that Jesus is the giver of the gifts. In verse 12, it says that the body is being built up into the body of Christ. In verse 15 says, we are growing up in every way into Christ. What I want you to understand is this, that the power of the, of the church is not just in our unity, our diversity, or our spiritual maturity. That the power of the church is who we're growing up in. And his name is Jesus. And he is the hero of unity. He is the hero of our souls. He is the hero of our maturation. He is the hero of our humility. He is the hero of our patience because all of these things describe who Jesus is. And at the end of the day, I don't want, I tell my son all the time, I go, Janito, I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be better than me. I want you to be like Jesus. Jesus is the hero of our unity because we can't grow up without the work of the Spirit. And we can't grow up without the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrected life. We can't honor our Father in heaven if we aren't dependent on the Spirit making us more like Jesus. And once again, we shout from the rooftops, it's not me, but it's Jesus. I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus is the hero. We cannot be all for one and one for all without the cross. Amen. We cannot be all for one and one for all without taking up our cross. We cannot be all for one 
and one for all without surrendering our lives at the cross. The Bible says that Jesus is the center of the church and he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church because it's his church. And his church is a united church. His church operates in diversity of gifting and his church is growing up. Growing up together. So what do we do? Fight for unity. Fight for unity. Elohim, as you continue to grow and as you burst out of the seams of this building, fight for unity. Say hello to your brother and sister who you don't know. Greet someone. Invite someone into your life. Invest into someone. My sister Gigi coined a phrase that says, be a disciple and make a disciple. That's how we maintain the unity. Our response to this truth is to stay dependent on Jesus. Stay dependent on his work. Stay dependent on the Holy Spirit. The moment we decide that I'm good all by myself is the moment that we deny the cross. We need each other. And we all need Jesus. It's this work of the Spirit. We must be filled by the Spirit. We must be dependent on the Spirit. We need the Spirit to live this life worthy of our calling. And without the Spirit, we fail. And I want to tell you, if you, if you failed this week, I want you to know today you came to the right place. You, you came to the place of forgiveness for your failures. To the people of God, to the church family, you're not alone. God is with you. But every one of us need two good friends. You don't need a lot of friends. You need two good ones who will stick with you. Find somebody to love, for someone to love you. Depend on his word. Don't let a day go by where we aren't seeking God's face and depending on his word. Would you stand to your feet with me? Family, maybe you walked in here and you feel alone. You feel alone in this walk. I want you to know that Jesus is your greatest need. And he's able and willing to meet you where you are. He's your savior. Maybe you've been in church for a long time and you feel alone. Just want you to know, look to your left and to your right. There are people who are here to love and to serve you. And so today, I want to pray with you, but I want to do something a little different. I want you to grab arms to the person next to you, link arms to the person next to you. You see, unity in the church is when we're praying for one another and where we're looking out for one another. You may not know the person you're sitting next to, nobody alone, everybody holding on to somebody. This is what unity in the church looks like. When I can love and serve my neighbor, when I can pray for them, 
when I can think about them and in this moment we can make an altar call and we can pray for individual needs but God is calling us to unity from the balcony to the floor he's calling us to be all together and right there where you are I want you to close your eyes I want you to bow your heads and I want you to start interceding for the person next to you and pray Lord would you help us keep the unity Father would you bless my sister would you bless my brother Father God, I may not know or I do know what they're going through. Lord, be the hero of their lives. Lord, be the Savior. Lord, be the Lord of their lives. Today, Father God, we come against this loneliness, oh Lord. Father God, we come against the attack of the enemy, oh God. And would you raise up a church together that is united, that is connected by your spirit, oh Lord. Your word says to abide in me and I would abide in you. Today, oh God, unite your church. Grow us up because we are all for one and one for all under the headship of Jesus Christ. Today, oh Lord Jesus, do your work in every person who is praying, Father God. Do your work in every teenager. Do your work in every young adult. Do your work in every person at the sound of my voice, Father God. That the spirit of freedom will come into this place, oh Lord. And unite the church. Diversify the church. And grow the church up for the honor and glory of your kingdom. Because it's all about you, Jesus. By your spirit, teach us to be humble. Help us think of us less and of others more. By your spirit, oh Lord, help us be patient. Help us be patient in our homes, with our spouses, with our children. Father, forgive us. Forgive us, oh God. We repent this morning when we have failed, oh Lord. But we thank God that in our failures, you are there to lift us up by your spirit, oh God. Because you are the hero of our salvation, Jesus. Unite your church. Bless your church. In the name of Jesus. And the church says. And the church says. Come on, somebody, can you bless the Lord? Tell somebody we're all for one. Tell somebody we're all for one and one for all in Christ Jesus. We're all for one. We're one for all in Christ Jesus. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon. We pray it blesses and encourages your life.